I'm just touching base on the topic of dreams tonight. Um, not to give you a teaching on dreams, not to tell you how to dream. I think we all do that pretty well. Um, unless your name's Stephen Rand. I used to suffer from nightmares and I asked God to take my dreams away one day. And uh, I stopped having dreams. Well, I stopped having nightmares at least and then I stopped having dreams. And then I had to ask God to start giving me dreams again. And uh, it's one of those things that um, I'm still trying to discover is how to dream again in our sleep, but also how to dream while we're awake. And I just feel that tonight, um, as far as, I'm pretty loud, says, you want to turn me down a little bit, buddy? Thanks, man. As far as it goes for dreams, I want to ask this question, uh, what are you dreaming about? I want you to ask yourself that question. What am I dreaming about? What does your soul long for? And if I may speak freely tonight, I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. And the first we find, um, well, not before I read the first one, I want to give you a bit of background. We actually want to follow a little bit of the story of the prophet Joel. And uh, the prophet Joel, um, his name, the prophet Joel, actually tells you what he did for God. He shared God's word and he shared uh, what God was saying to the people of Israel. So I want to give you a bit of a background before we get into the word. Joel was a prophet some 800 years before Jesus was born. So that was a long time ago, wasn't it? So we can just say rough figures. Jesus was 2,000 years ago, rough figures. Uh, rough figures, Joel was 800 years before him. So 800 to 850 years was about the time frame before Jesus was born. And just some things worthy of Joel. I don't know if you've ever heard about Joel's story at all, but I just felt that we might touch a couple of these things tonight in the topic of what are we dreaming. Joel, Joel means Yahweh is God. And that's quite significant because the people of God had turned away from God into idol worship. So God sends a prophet that is named Yahweh is God. I think that's quite significant, isn't it? Yeah, to speak to them. Joel prophesied, I'm giving you some background, all right, when, I can't even say this name, uh, Jehoiada was high priest in Judah. There's a name you probably haven't heard, like this morning's name. What was that name, Rodney, you shared this morning? Ishkabab. Yeah, Ishkabar. Did you look that up? I actually had that question for you today. Did you actually go and verify that Ishkabar was not in the, the Bible? <laughs> and that's cool. Um, so Jehoiada was the high priest of Judah around the first um, 30 years of the reign of King Joash. Okay, another name that you probably haven't heard of, King Joash. You'll find this story in 2 Kings 11 and 2 Chronicles 23 because we understand that Kings and Chronicles are the, um, the writings of the, the great kings or all of the kings in that time period. So 2 Kings 11, 2 Chronicles 23 is where you'll find about the man Joash. Joash became king at the ripe old age of seven. Now that's pretty young to be king, isn't it? Joash was the surviving member of his family. And he, he, was, he survived his family hiding in the temple with a nurse. Now, when you see a nurse in the Bible, that generally means a wet nurse, which means that the nurse was the one that fed him or breastfed him. 
So he was really little when they hid him. So here we have Joash. He's hiding in the temple um, from the mother of the fallen king, Ahaziah. Now, it's not important that you remember the names. What's important is that you hear the story, all right? Ahaziah was a member of the line of Ahab. Some of you might know Ahab, who God had anointed, not Ahab, but he anointed a man named Jehu, the son of Nimshi, through the prophet Elijah to cut off from the land Ahab and all of his descendants due to his wickedness and the wickedness of, the que- of his queen, who was called Jezebel. Okay? So just giving you some context of when Joel is in the, in the, the, the scene here. This same wickedness of Jezebel and her husband Ahab plagued Judah through King Ahaziah. Now, Ahab was king of Israel. And here we have Ahaziah, king of Egypt, of uh, Israel, of Judah, sorry. And his mother killed all of the royal heirs. So Jezebel's sin followed through the line and actually in this king and his mother had its same sort of wickedness to it. She, when her son fell in battle to Jehu, she said, right, there is going to be no king. Um, there's going to be no king to su- surpass him. I actually want to rule. So she went and she started to kill off all of the descendants, all of the ones that were to be heir because she wanted to rule. It sounds a little bit like what Jezebel did, yeah? Okay, so just trying to give you some background because it's really important to understand. Because of all this wickedness, judgment fell on all of the land of Judah. And it is here in this setting that Joel is prophesying. This was the covenant that Israel were in with God. Under the law, the nation had requirements to fulfill as they served God. The Ten Commandments are a list of these moral commandments. They're a list of the moral state that needed to be done, needed to be adhered to. And then I want to turn, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 28. You forgot your Bible. Next time you'll bring it, eh? Deuteronomy 28, verse 15 says this. This is the words of Moses. This is also part of the covenant that they lived by. It says, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So it wasn't just that they had to fulfill these things. It's actually linked to the blood covenant that God had made with them at Mount Sinai through the Ten Commandments. There's this covenant that's made, this agreement that's made between God and His people. And all the people actually said yes to these conditions. So we've got to understand this. Verse 36 and 40 of the same chapter, it says this. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. So Moses is fast forwarding a little bit. As he says, if you don't follow these commandments, you're going to be cursed. And in that curse, these things are going to happen. Okay, so they, 
they as a nation, who knows, did not make it when it comes to keeping the law. They failed dismally like we would because the law was so perfect and we aren't. So he says, he's, he's kind of prophesying into this. And he's saying, And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? That in the midst of all these curses, Moses is prophesying a time when they will be in a massive famine and they'll be cut off from the goodness or the bounty of the land. Now through Joash, even though he, he tried at, at seven years of age, he decreed that they need to come back to God. And he tried his hardest to get the nation to turn back to God. Who's been there before? Who's tried their hardest to actually get their friends to come to God? Yeah, I have. It's sort of a bit pains. It pains when they don't listen, doesn't it? Well, Joash is a little bit like this. He's, he's like, he tries to reinstate this, this true covenant where, where they would live in the blessings of God. But the nation had fallen too far. They'd already stepped into this prophecy that Moses had spoken of. Judgment was imminent, and the people never tore down their high places of idol worship. So yes, the nation of Judah turned back to God, but they just kept this remnant of idol worship, these Asherah poles out in the high places where they would still go, and they would worship these false gods. So it is in this scene, very, very different to today, but very similar that Joel is prophesying. And it's good to understand this because the prophet Joel is significant to us. I want to read to you a portion of what Joel has to say. So turn to Joel chapter 1. I always struggle to find Joel. Where is he? There he is. Got him. Thanks, Rod. That's helpful. <laughs> Joel chapter 1 and verse uh, 2 says this. Now, I want you to place yourself in the setting of these people that are listening to this prophecy. So that's why I kind of give you this background. All hope is gone. But Joel says this. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. So that includes everybody in the nation, doesn't it? You elders and all the inhabitants includes everyone. So this is talking... If you're in the story, it's talking to you. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. 
Now, it's not a nation. It is a swarm of locusts. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. As you see the locusts coming and you think of your crops that are just about to be ravaged, as you're in the story and you're thinking, I'm hearing these words of Joel, I'm remembering these words of Moses, and all of a sudden this great army with teeth like lion is coming to consume everything that I own. What are you dreaming of? What would you have been longing for in this land that lay waste as you watch it decimated by locusts? He speaks to drunkards. He speaks to those who would pine for bread. He speaks to those who would like to anoint themselves with oil as a salve to to heal any sores and all those sorts of things. What would you have been longing for? Bread, wine, oil? Gone was all of its provisions. And with it, there were means. With the provisions being lost, so too was the means of their sacrifice to God. So too was the means of their worship to God. See, without bread, they couldn't offer bread, the show bread. Without wine, they couldn't offer that. Without oil, how were they going to burn in the lamps in the temple? They lost the means by which they would worship their God. Their entire lifestyle was ravaged by four plagues of locusts. Now, in chapter 2 of Joel, it gets worse for those who are stuck in this time. It gets to a point where he prophesies of a day that will be great and terrifying. It's called the day of the Lord. A day to the Jew that would have brought terrible anxiety. You see, in the midst of dreaming, in the midst of loss in the midst of being hurt by whatever it is that has come and ravaged your life we tend to lose the opportunity to dream why because we lose the capacity to hope when all hope is gone with it goes the potential of dreaming some of us have lost our hope Some of us are in the thick of some sort of battle and it seems like the locusts have taken and stripped everything from our lives. But you see, there's always hope in Christ. Have you lost the potential to dream of a better day? A life that honors God and our fellow men. Fast forward, uh, what did I say? 800, 850 years later, And it reminds me of the story of the disciples. The disciples of Jesus. Eight hundred years later, we get a people that are starting to dream again. 
They've got a new temple, although they don't tend to worship there. They tend to gather in synagogues now because after the rebellion, after being taken into Babylon, they had to learn to do worship a different way. They learnt to worship in synagogues and they come back to their homelands and when they set up, they set up synagogue worship, which is kind of like church worship today. They sing and they have prayers and they speak the word of God. In this time frame, maybe the Messiah is amongst us. Their hope is beginning to rise. And I can hear the disciples, surely this is God. Surely God has sent our Savior. Surely God has sent this man to save us from what we're going through. But I see the locusts, they strike once more. Faith is squashed, hope is obliterated, and the man they followed, will, with all they had, was crucified. Again, all hope seems dashed, their dreams crushed, as this man was supposed to be God, lay dead in a tomb. Where would you be? What would you be thinking? You know, I've given Peter a hard time over the, the years. But I've also given him some credit at times as well. What would Peter have been thinking in this moment? What would I do? What would you do? Hope does not disappoint. As they reflect, they call or they recall some of his teachings. As they're sitting down and they're wondering what happened to their Lord, they hear news that the, temple, the tomb is empty. The stone's gone and the Christ, his body, is no longer there. Jesus is alive. I can see Peter as he studies scripture between the times of Jesus when he ascended before them and the time of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. A number of days, these disciples, they would have gathered together in that upper room and they would have talked over what Jesus had shared with them. They would have talked over what, what Jesus had promised. Tarry in Jerusalem so I can empower you. Empower you. And as they began to talk, they began to think and they began to pray and they began to dream again. What is God going to do amongst us? What is God going to do amongst us? As Peter read that word, as he read through the scroll of Joel, what do you think was on his mind? One more time, I'll read this scroll. There's something in it I know. Aha, now it makes sense. These people in this story, they were destitute. They were lost. They feel as I feel without my Lord here to guide me. They felt like they had everything ripped from them. They felt my pain and I can identify with what they're going through. It was in the midst of that he remembered that God had forgotten them. Or had he? Have you ever asked why Peter quotes... The 
Joel chapter 2 in his first sermon. Have you ever asked that question? Do we remember his first sermon? Do we remember what happened? Or are we lost in our dreams? Or our lack of dreaming? Is all hope gone? You see, Peter's praying with all the others in that upper room. And all of a sudden, a noise, a rushing wind, a fire from heaven. The Bible actually records it as tongues of fire upon each of them. And they spoke different languages. And this, this commotion, it spills out into the streets. Where do you think Peter's hopelessness was now? God is faithful. Jesus is alive. And all of a sudden, I'm experiencing something that I never thought would happen. In my own self, I was thinking I was lost and ravaged like our people who were raided by the locusts of old. I felt like I was cut off from God. And Peter's saying, but all of a sudden, hope returns. And as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? What happens? God is faithful. Peter begins to dream again. In Joel 2.19, we read, The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and you wine and oil, and you will be satisfied with them. I will no longer make you an approach among the nations. For Peter, it all starts to make sense. Was Jesus not the bread of life? Was he not the grain sent from heaven? The very one who put himself into the grave, knowing full well that if he died, that he would reap a harvest that would be so uncountable and would continue for an eternity. Was not Jesus that grain that would give his life for you? What about Jesus? Was he not the new wine? Was it not his blood that purged you from all of your sin? Was it not his blood that was shed so that I, Peter, could be reconciled to God? You see, I think Peter is starting to dawn on what Joel 2.19 is saying. It was not Jesus promising something when he said, tarry in Jerusalem, for I will empower you. It was not Jesus speaking of sending of the new oil as he anointed with the Holy Spirit. Was this not the new oil from heaven that is poured out upon God's people? Was this not what they were experiencing? I guess it was. Peter begins to make the connections and no longer is he dreaming, but he goes from hope to faith. He begins to believe. He identifies with something that was 800 odd years old and he makes it new. The key to Joel, chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. 
and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. It was not God who caused them to be in disaster. It was their own lives. It was their own sin. It was the decisions that they made to follow after gods that was not God. And the consequence of what they chose led to their utter destruction and eventually to their demise. Peter makes his connection. Hope arises. Peter begins to dream. Where are your dreams? What are you dreaming? You see, when you connect with the story, and believe you connect with hope. What are you dreaming? For me, let me share a couple of those dreams for you. I dream of a church that is so impacted by love that every need in our society is met. I dream of a church that would not be ashamed of the gospel, so much so that the Lord would add to our number daily. I dream of a church that leads the charge of unity in our city that could work with other churches to see them full, just as we will be filled. I dream of this night, wildfire. I dream of it becoming weekly, young people crying out for the Lord. I dream of a young people that are here, that are impacted with the Word of God, that could so see the hope of Peter, that could so connect with the hope of Joel, they could see what God is saying, and that they would start dreaming for their friends. A dream of a church that would rend their hearts and not their clothes. See, this could be a reality. I dream of a church that is a light to the nations. Not only sending, but discipling nations. I dream of a number of church plants, I, of people who would rise up and accept the call of God on their life. For we all have a hope. We all have a hope of His calling. I believe in a body who would rise and expect that that which God has called them to, He will bring through. A dream of a time where the enemy's words would fall on deaf ears. A dream of a people that would just so be so on fire for God that the enemy cannot penetrate our thoughts. Is that a wrong dream? I dream of a time when every person who turns to Jesus is radically transformed in our sight and healed as in the days of Acts. Set free from drugs, set free from um, addictions, set free from, uh, like the woman at the well, just set free completely from relationships. And an instant on a daily basis. I dream. What do you dream? I think God is saying to you tonight, I give you permission to dream. 
I think one of the biggest keys for a prophetic people, one of the things Joel teaches me is that those who come to Christ are birthed in the prophetic because we speak on behalf of God. I think a dream is that we would see that and that we would speak prophetically what God is saying. God is saying, I give you permission to dream again. And as Peter began to dream, the Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit empowers. And at the sound of a trumpet, tongues of fire fell. And they fell on all who were praying. Peter is filled with hope. And hope fills him with faith in the goodness of God. And he steps out, quoting the prophet Joel. Of all the scriptures in the Bible, of walking three years with Jesus, you think he would quote Jesus. But he quotes a man who was 800 odd years earlier. And he says this in Acts 2, 15 to 21. For these people are not drunk in the defense of those who were with him, since it is only the third hour of the day. That is nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. How new do you think that was in the day of Joel? Women couldn't be prophets in the day of Joel. But yet God will pour out His Spirit on men and women alike. And 19, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you go back to Joel and you read that in the book of Joel, Peter misquotes him. Because Joel actually prophesied it will be a great and terrifying day. You see, Peter says this word, it will be a great and magnificent day because it dawns on Peter the day of the Lord is the day that those who are called by Christ and those who are found in Christ, washed and cleansed and brought into the likeness of Christ, will rise with Him into victory. How can that be a terrifying day? See, Peter connects with the dream. He connects with what the Holy Spirit is actually saying. For that which people would tremble in fear, we rejoice. It is a day of hope. But only if we would repent and believe. If only we would be baptized into Jesus. Is this not what Peter says to the men and the women who were listening? As he stood up and he declared the voice, the words of the prophet of old as the Holy Spirit went out from him 
and impacted the hearts of those who were listening, was not that was that not what Peter said? They're like, Peter, Peter, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and believe in your heart and be baptized. Be baptized into Christ. And there's this sense as they ran away from what was terrifying, they ran to this place of hope where they too could begin to dream again. So my question stands, what are your dreams? Have you run first and foremost to Jesus? Have you run to escape that which was terrifying to come to a place where you can embrace it as being magnificent? Where you are embraced, where you can kiss the sun? Are you prepared for the great day of the Lord? And if you are prepared for the great day of the Lord, then there is no excuse. For with that comes a hope of a brighter future. With that comes a life that is empowered by God himself. Where are your dreams? What is God saying? What's he saying right now? Where is your hope? My dream is that you would understand this. My dream is in that sharing the story, you can connect. These are not just random Bible verses that are picked and put together. This is the story of God. A people that were lost, a people that were destitute, a people that were ravaged by an army of locusts that had no means to worship their God. They had no means to believe and to fulfill the covenant that they were in. And yet, God prophesies of a greater day. Fast forward 850 years, Jesus enters. All of a sudden, it makes sense. A great and terrifying day for those who would once think of the old covenant, striving to work for God, striving to appease Him and to worship Him, if they would turn and embrace Jesus, then they would be able to hope again. See, their lives... God promised he would give them oil. He promised he would give them bread. He promised he would give them new wine. And he's fulfilled all in Jesus. If God is faithful with those things in your life, is he not going to be faithful with your dreams? Who, who here has lost family members who have walked away from God? Who have, who have said, I don't believe in that. Even... I believe in science, but I can't believe in God. Like, seriously? You would believe in something that God would create to reveal himself over and above the one who put all into existence? It speaks to me of a generation who are hopeless, 
speaks to me of a generation who are trying to find things that they cannot uncover apart from the Holy Spirit and the connection with the Word of God Himself, Jesus. What are your dreams? Do you pray your dreams into existence? Will you partner with me tonight in believing what God can do? See, I know there are people here who dream to be missionaries. If God has birthed that in your heart, then let me say, you not only have hope, but you have faith that God is faithful and he will fulfill. Maybe you're dreaming that you'll be a church planter one day. Maybe you're dreaming that you will lead your best three friends to Christ before you leave school or your workplace or even Griffith. Maybe you're dreaming. Maybe you're dreaming that you'll have a husband or a wife, a family, someone that you can bring up in the ways of God. All good dreams. But separate from God, they are pipe dreams. We need Christ in our lives, who is our sure and certain hope. And God is saying he gives you permission to dream again. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. You're going to be bold tonight. I'm going to ask Says to put on some music. And I just want you to pray to God. I'm not even going to pray for you tonight. I'm just going to finish with this song. Holy Spirit can do something in your life tonight if only you would dream. He will spark something in your dreams if only you would open up to Him. And as we sung, God is a good, good Father. He sent His good Son, Jesus, and Jesus sends His Holy Spirit into our lives. So I want you to do some work with God tonight. Strip away the things that are causing your dreams to fall away. And come to God and say, God, help me dream again. A dream of a brighter day, a better day.
feel led tonight, I want you to come forward. And a number of us are just that feel led or want to pray for you. Maybe God's just birthed a dream in your heart. Maybe you're just full of excitement and want to share it with someone. And you just want someone to pray with you and stand with you. So open up now. If you want prayer tonight for any reason, then come forward. Make a bold statement to say, God, I want to dream again. And I want to step into the fullness that you have for me. And I believe Holy Spirit will do something in your life tonight. That will never be undone. So come, we want prayer. Now's the time.